Hey everybody, welcome to New Dan Do or Dad episode number one hundred. Um, I should have had a sound effect ready for it. I don't have a sound effect ready. There it is. Oh, I can make a sound effect for you, Eric, if you want. Episode one hundred. I am Eric Smith, and I'm here as always with Dustin Lopez for the one hundredth time. Dustin, how are you? I am well, and for the one hundredth time, I'm not going to ask you how you are. I mean, you have asked me how I am plenty of times. Well, sure. Uh, we're all we're also joined today. Oh, okay, you're just gonna. I'm hopping right into it, Eric. Oh, okay, we were just gonna sit on that for a little bit. No, not Bad today. Our success here of 100 episodes. It only took us almost three years to get to it, but we did it. We definitely did it, and we crossed some thresholds along the way. A hundred, yeah, a hundred episodes, a hundred thousand downloads recently. Pretty cool. Never really thought we'd get this far, but we, we're we're chugging along here. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. All right. Well, we gotta we gotta pick up the pace. I know we've said that before. Twenty twenty was a really good year for us, as far as the podcast was concerned. We were able I was just to just about to say like uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, then 2021, we got busy again with weddings and, you know, more kids and, and all that. So we slowed down a little bit, but I think with some smart scheduling and stuff, we can, we can put stuff out on a regular pace again. I think I've been releasing on fairly regular schedule here. So yeah, my mom's been really appreciative of that. Your mom. Yeah. Regular listener, friend of the show. Great. Maybe we should have her on sometime. That would be awful. No offense, mom, but this is my thing. We'll have her on instead of you. No. All right. Um, well, we have we, we have a guest here for our 100th episode. Somebody that uh, has felt like they've almost like somebody that's been on the episode, uh, been on the podcast before. Um, we bring his name up enough, and we've we've directed people to his TikTok enough. We have Ryan Allen on the episode right now. Ryan Allen is a professional clinical counselor, and I'm reading this off of your website, an independent chemical dependency counselor out here in Ohio. Um, you may know him on TikTok, uh, preschool therapist. Is that the official TikTok name? On? So on TikTok, it's preschool therapy. And then on Instagram, it's preschool therapist. Got it. We love Ryan. We love all Ryan's content. We strive to be more like Ryan. And we are failing miserably at following all of the things that Ryan says to do um, on a daily basis. <laughs> so we have Ryan on to scold us and... Uh, shame us into into doing the the right thing when it comes to parenting, and we're gonna we're gonna finally figure out what kind of parent I am. You know, we all know Dustin is a helicopter parent. Um, I think I may have figured out what I am last night. I was or was it you were you were live the other day? It might have been yesterday. I think you were live, and you're talking about permissive parents. Yeah, and I feel I'm gonna have you explain what a permissive parent is, but I feel like that might be me. Can I just yeah. can I just tell Ryan one thing? And that is that Eric, I describe Eric as a three and people are always like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I am a one or a five and Eric always picks three because <laughs> he's not one way or the other. He's just very level headed about everything. So I wonder if that has to do with permissive parenting. It could. It also could be where you want to be, right? Because if we're looking at parenting on a spectrum, then you have, I always look at it from a zero to a 10 and in the middle is where we want to be. That's what gentle or authoritative parenting really is. That's a good point. 
Eric, what led you to that to that question? Just the live or? Yeah, well, I I didn't catch where you ex- actually explained what permissive parenting oh, was. I didn't. <laughs> I, but I, so I no, I mean in the live I didn't, but I, I I caught like a little bit of it, and I was like, hmm, that sounds like maybe this could be something that I'm doing. It could be, you know. Again, if we're looking at things on a spectrum, if we're on the zero end, I always think of that as like an uninvolved parent, right? So that's mm-hmm. the parent who really, there's no relationship, there's no connection, there's no boundaries, there's really not, nothing of really anything, right? They're just not there. And if you go up a couple steps, then you're into what would be called a permissive parent. And in this regard, they have a really, they, the one of the thing that they do fantastically well is have a really good relationship and connection with their kids. By far and, and none, that's what they are best at. The thing that they really struggle with is being able to set any boundaries for their kids. So when things come up or if the kids are like, hey, I want to eat ice cream for dinner, a permissive parent's going to be more likely to say, okay, we'll have a, you can have one scoop of ice cream and then we'll do dinner, right? They're, they're going to really struggle with being able to set any of those boundaries. And they're going to be a little bit more giving when kids kind of press those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm probably borderline permissive parent, I would say somewhere, somewhere in that area. Yeah. So what we always, something that, that we kind of, I don't, I don't know, we didn't coin it obviously on, on this podcast but something that we call me uh, like i'm the what do we call me i'm the primary parent um default well he calls a default i'm the primary parent but like i'm i'm here most of the time at night like handling dinner and stuff and like you know when there's ever something that needs to be done in relation to the kids like i'm the person that's taking care of it um dustin is not that i'm the provider sure but i'm also that Yes, you're a unique case because a lot of households work like provider and parent, like in terms of majority of the responsibility, not saying that the other person can't be working. But when it comes to like a kid being sick and at home, typically you and Melissa would be the ones staying at home. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just like I actually read because like last week. Um, Solomon was sick and this and home from school and he's two. So it's like, whatever. And, um, and Mateo this week, same thing. So Melissa ended up being default, you know, all those days. And this was when the first couple weeks of this year was when she was supposed to go back to work after three years of being kind of like less involved in our, in our business. You know, she was like back into it, but she couldn't do that at all. And it was really frustrating and we actually had to have a conversation yesterday about like who what do we do when our kids get sick like how do we do this like you're the default and that's a really frustrating place for you to be because you feel like you want to be able to do your work and you can't and i'm sitting here with this big job and da 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 so on and so forth trying to get stuff done over here and so we decided we were going to start splitting sick days where like she'll take the first half of the day and I'll take the second half of the day or vice versa. So there is that default that she's had for quite a while. And I think we're starting to work through that and get away from that model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of parents are really struggling with that. I just saw an NPR article today talking about how many, especially with younger kids under than five, um, are really struggling with this because daycares and centers are getting closed so much with COVID. Um, I was, I was saying, when I got here, we luckily and unluckily, we both contracted COVID. So 
when my son's daycare was just now closed, we're both already home anyway. But had he not been, we would have had to deal with that exact same thing. Yeah, I read last night when we were kind of like talking, we we went to the internet and like looked for, you know, like what are other people doing? And women specifically are 10 times more likely to be the person to stay home with a sick kid. And it really shows the gender bias that we see like in the workplace Mm -hmm. and how it's more acceptable for mom to stay home with the kids than it might be for dad to stay home with the kids. Like I could imagine you, Eric, um, maybe some of your coworkers being a little less understanding of you staying home with the kids. Like, oh, why isn't June the one that's staying home with the kids? Like, I think that that's just something that people naturally, because we're conditioned this way, and we need to uncondition ourselves from that really uh, fallacious line of thought because it's not just mom's responsibility. It can be a dual responsibility. Mm-hmm. I, I think in... Society is, I think, slowly coming to terms with that. But sure. you're right; it is. We're far away from that. Just I can look on my own, uh, my TikTok comments and my videos, and if I talk about anything that has to do with masculinity or saying that my child is going to talk about their emotions, immediately I know that it's going to end up on the end where I'm going to be called soft and weak and beta and all that wonderful stuff. <laughs> your your comment section is a trip. And the way you the way you handle it is great when especially when you when you specifically like call them out and, and do a video in response to one. I mean, we uh, those are some of my favorite videos that you do is when is when you're specifically calling somebody out. But definitely want to talk about, you know, uh, gentle parenting and, and, you know, everything that 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 you're teaching on there and something that Dustin, I think, is more recently dealing with and something that that I've been dealing with for a while now is siblings fighting each other. I have what am I, I have now? How old are they? What, no, well, he he's not as bad. It's the it's the three year old and the almost. Well, how old is Ford? Ford will be two and almost two. Maybe, so he's whatever twenty months. Those two going at it, and what Mateo and, and Solomon they they go at it pretty hard, right? Nowadays, yeah. I mean, it's like um, it's like the Sour Patch Kids commercials. First they're sour, then they're sweet, right? Yeah, that's like them as brothers. They're like one minute they're like running around chasing each other, having fun, and then boom, they one holds something and the other one wants it so bad that they're like ready to scream at the top of their lungs, right? So, yeah, I, I use that Sour Patch Kids commercial uh, analogy so much because that's just preschoolers. <laughs> right. It, it's particularly difficult to, like, I, to handle with the, the younger one just because he's, he's at an age where I don't really think he understands, you know, what's going on when I try to explain explain stuff to him like he's he's not he's not verbalizing yet like he's he's been much slower than his siblings have been to to start talking so so it's really hard to kind of get through to him so i'm kind of you know uh, how do you how do you deal with that yeah you know when kids are super young three and two and and all of that it's really hard because their brain is still developing it's still an early 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 development you know we we know that the brain doesn't really finish developing until they're what 27. So if you think about it, a three-year-old has another 24 years before their brain is officially done developing. Um, looking at it like that always helps me just to relate with them a little bit more yeah. and understand that really the part of the brain that's required for them to be able to stop and think and be like, okay, well, I should handle this situation by going and letting my mom or my dad or my teacher know that's just not there yet. Right. So, when we're thinking about kids, we I always like to try and look at it from a top-down approach or a bottom-up approach. 
top down is that logical thinking stuff, right? That's when we're able to say, oh, you know what? This is how I should handle this situation. Or, hey, it's not that big of a deal or, you know, whatever I might think of. Um, that's also where a lot of parents are like issue consequences. It's like when they say, hey, cut it out or you're going to have to take a timeout or whatever you use. Bottom up approach is very different than that. And that's where three and younger live. It's all in the body. It's all sensory. It's all emotional. They don't have that, that, that regulator in their brain to kind of keep that stuff in place yet. So that's why it's so hard to tell a three-year-old what they should do in that situation because they just don't have that capacity yet. Mm -hmm. So what, what would be some approaches? I think, well, one, I would probably start with the older one. And I would work with them on how to handle it first because they are going to be able to understand things a little bit better, right? So if you can work with them and learn different ways of solving problems and, and addressing that, then it'll make it a little bit more space for whenever you have to work with your younger one. And mm. in that case, the number one thing we have to do is we have to help them calm down. So we have to get them to a place where they're regulated and they're calm. Otherwise, nothing else is going to work. Right. So using deep breaths, trying to be present with them, just kind of riding through the storm is the place to start. Once they're in a calm place, then we can usually at least get them to start thinking about problem solving and start teaching them different ways of dealing with those situations. So you might say, I get it. Your brother had that toy and you really wanted it. Whenever somebody has a toy you want, what can you do instead? And you're just starting to introduce these ideas and understand that it's going to be a year before they really can start using it. But at least we're starting to plant the seed, so to say. Sure. You know, yeah. The younger one is always the calmer one. He's the one pulling the hair. He's he's completely calm when he's doing it. He's just, you know, he's just grabbing and whatever. Oh wow. It's, it's funny with with my older one, he is so stubborn during these, these times where, you know, I really try to take in a lot of that kind of advice that, that we hear on TikTok from, uh, you know, all the vi videos that you've made over the, over the years here. And like, I feel like no matter what I do, he's so stubborn and he's so much a combination of my wife and I, when it comes, comes to stubbornness that he will literally, uh, take everything and just say, I don't want any of it now you have it and literally gives it all back. Like yesterday he, he literally was holding or no, this morning at breakfast, he literally was holding something else that had nothing to do with what we, and he said, here, take this too. I don't want it. You know? And wow. he is, he, and he will sit in, um, he'll go, he'll, he sends himself to his room now. That's how he's self-regulating. And, and Melissa says, you know, the other day she says, I get him. This is how I feel. Let him process. Give him a few minutes. And it was so interesting that like it hit me for the first time that like the some of the things that Mateo feels are the same way that my wife feels. And she understood him. And she understands him to the point where she's like, hey, here's some advice on how I would want you to deal with me now. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to apply that to the kid, but also now to you. So when we are at it, you know, I can, and it's, it's interesting how like raising kids really helps, can help your relationship with your significant other as well. It's like crazy. Absolutely. Like I, I tell people all the time, gentle parenting 
as it's called on TikTok, it's it's not just a better way to interact with your kids. It's a better way to be a person, right? Because you have to use those strategies and how you interact with your boss, people that work for you, uh, with your partner, friends, everybody. You can use these strategies for everybody. Now, of course, you're going to have to adapt a little bit, but it absolutely changes how you interact with people. Am I off base when I wonder, um, obviously the last two weeks with my kids being sick, it's just been incredibly challenging. And there have been a couple times where Melissa and I have really just lost it and really have been challenged. Like we haven't been really ever because it's the first time that everybody's been sick around the same time. And I had this moment of clarity and it was really the last time that I did any sort of raising of my voice or anything they legitimately don't understand. It's not scaring them to raise your voice. It's not doing the intention of getting things to just shut up. Right. They're literally like confused. Like, why are you, why are you yelling? Like, I don't get it. They don't have that capacity. Is that like a safe assumption? I think in a lot of cases, yeah. If parents haven't been doing that, it's the same thing if, um, again, I, I reference TikTok a lot because I spend a lot of time on there. Yeah. Um, but there is a uh, an entire trend where some of the people in the, the gentle parenting world will show their child a belt or a wooden spoon. And the kids are like, yeah, that's that's a spoon. That's a belt. You put that in your pants. Whereas many of us or um, other people who grew up with parents who use those as discipline are like, maybe even feel a sense of fear when they see it because we were just raised differently. Right. So this is something that's kind of shaping how I like, I, I want to like talk to my kids and, you know, discipline stemming from how I grew up in my house. Like there was yelling constantly. My mom, my mom liked to yell. She yelled about everything and it seemed like she yelled about stuff that there, there was no reason to yell about stuff for like, little things turned into the big things. Um, it was just, there was always yelling and, and it's not like I'm talking out of school, like everybody in our family knew it. So I just like, I don't want to yell. I hate yelling. I can't stand it. And I, I just don't want to be in a house of like, like, I don't, I don't like raising my voice, but then I, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I feel like, there's there's two different kinds of people. There's people like me that grew up with yelling and and like and it was just so much that like I just want to distance myself from it completely. And then there's people that are are just gonna keep doing it. Like they grew up in yelling and like and my wife grew up in I, I don't want to say similar situation, but she grew up in um well, she grew up in Thailand. Um she was raised by her grandparents. Very different situation, like practically third world. And, you know, same thing. I, you know, I was spanked. She was probably spanked to a higher degree. So, you know, she, she feels completely differently about all of this than I do. Um, you know, I send her your videos. She ignores them. Um, <laughs> like, how, like, I don't know where, like, I don't know where to go from here. Like, how do I meet in the middle there? Like, what do I do here? Yeah, it's hard because there's also a cultural piece there, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, and I know that in many um, Asian cultures, um, a lot of you know Black cultures, Hispanic cultures, a lot of them have had a very different um, 
view towards that, right? It's for some, it's almost like um, a rite of passage, right? So it's, it's almost a sense of pride that we we do this. This is how we are. You're gonna go through this. I'm sorry. Like like I I had to go through this. You're gonna go through this too. Exactly, and it's almost kind of like a hazing mentality, right? Like I had to do it, and that's just part of what you have to go through too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of that, and it almost becomes somewhat of an identity, it's really hard to let go of that and say that something's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. So having that conversation, is just going to be harder because you're, you're not just, it's not just a a viewpoint, it's an identity and a way of being. Right. Yeah. 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 I think again, kind of looking at a gentle parenting perspective, it's, it's just trying to have those conversations slowly and surely and, and trying to address your, your way of viewing it and listening to them and hearing where they're coming from and having those conversations. And part of it is saying, Hey, you know, I was raised this way. I know you were raised this way. I'm hoping that maybe we can talk about how we can change this up a little bit. Cause mm-hmm. I feel uneasy with it. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of it is like, I'm, I'm trying to bring in like the science aspects of it and like, this thing that we're doing probably isn't going to help them um, in their development. Like in the future, we're probably going to be hurting them. Um, you know, there's things that we can do to help them avoid like things like, like I have, you know, chronic depression. I, I suffer, you know, I have ADHD. I have all these things that, you know, we could probably help our kids, you know, avoid to some degree, you know, just by the way that we're treating them on a daily basis. Absolutely. The problem is, and you can see this in anything you look at in today's world, people don't necessarily care about the science until they get, like they feel heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually too late. Yeah. But I do feel like your family of origin is the major contributing factor to most of your decision-making in Mm -hmm. life. Right. And when you have different ways of being raised in a relationship you're oftentimes the conflict stems from family of origin issues, right? So like Melissa was raised by somebody that says, do whatever makes you happy. And my parents are sitting there saying, work your ass off until, you know, you can't work anymore. Right. And, um, you know, get to the top and so on and so forth. It's a different way. And and there's conflict in that. Right. And so parenting is no different. No, absolutely. My my family is the exact same way. My wife was born and raised in Israel, and I'm from Southern Ohio, right? So my family, very Appalachian, and it was very detached, right? It's just like, like you know that they, it's that, that idea, I mean, you know that they love you, but we don't really say I love you, right? Her family is the complete opposite of that. Like, she went, she talks about a story how she went to Mexico once and she told them, Hey, I'm going to be a couple of days where we're not going to have phone service. And they were almost ready to call the national guard to try and find her because they couldn't find her and they couldn't get a hold of her. That's just the very different ways of doing things. And I know that as my son gets older, we're going to have conversations about how we handle these things and how it's going to be a little bit of a clash. Dustin, Dustin's head's turning here. I see the, I see it. I'm just, I'm just thinking like I've been in, you know, uh, in the last like three therapy sessions that Melissa and I have been in together. It's, 
it's funny your story because that's exactly the kind of difference that I we've been working through and um, it has not been easy it has not been easy at all because you don't realize that your your own deficiencies come from your family of origin absolutely and a lot of the good things come from your family of origin too yeah but those deficiencies you you want to ignore them or you you don't think that they're there or mm -hmm. it's somebody else's fault or whatever and once you recognize where it stems from then it gives you the opportunity to fix it exactly. and um it, i i said to bonnie the other day um you know, hey, I have this really big fear that I'm jacking up my kids because of the way I was raised and the way that I, you know, and these are just common things that, you know, we can talk about, but you don't really acknowledge it when it's you. And so it's so much different when you're sitting there and you go, oh, crap, like I I I did grow up in a household where there was a lot of yelling and very vocal, you know, things. I always had an aunt that was mad at an uncle or an, an uncle that was that pissed off an aunt at Christmas and there was always a fight and so on and so right. And that was the way I grew up. And and not to say that I had a horrible childhood, but it affects the way that you deal with things and it takes a lot to um to then make those corrections and learn the strategies behind fixing them so yeah um, I, th I think you're 100 percent. you have to that awareness gives you the opportunity to look at how you want to change it also gives you a chance to look at how you've managed it and how you have um presented i'm very much like eric where in, in my family my dad was a, he was a yeller an intimidator and so for me, I hate yelling, can't stand it to the point that if my wife yells at me from the kitchen, I start to feel some stress from that because I just don't like the yelling, right? And so for me, it wasn't that I became a yeller, it was became I came the complete opposite. And it's the same thing for many families who grew up in an authoritarian home, they kind of have moved and overcorrected to being more permissive, right? Because that's just their way of coping with how they were raised, right? Sorry, I I I really felt that when you're, <laughs> yeah, when when I like someone, is, <laughs> if someone's yelling at me from another room, I'm like, I do not answer. I don't answer. Like I just don't. I don't want to yell back to them. I like I want to be in the same room as you, and I want to talk to you. Yeah. I will not yell back to you. I don't want to. I hear you. But the thing is, like for somebody like me. I actively have to, it's a daily commitment not to yell. Like I have yeah. so much built up, you know, they talk about, you know, um, like this pent up white guy anger that people have, right? And like, I feel like I'm that quintessential guy sometimes and I don't want to be that guy. And I literally have to actively pursue every day not to be that guy. And there are times when I falter and, and, and I don't, embody the person that i want to be mm -hmm. we all make mistakes but yeah. man it is a struggle not to yell sometimes for me oh, i mean that, for because everybody. i grew up in that house yeah it's, it's it's a struggle to change because again a lot of this stuff has been hardwired into our system from birth 
right? Mm -hmm. So you have to think that for if we didn't start that growth journey until we're like 25, that's 25 years of, of wiring that's in our brains and in our physiology that we're trying to shift. And it's, it's, it's really hard for a lot of people, for everybody. It's not just for a lot of people, for everybody. It's hard to make those changes. Speaking of shifting, I want to make sure that I get this question in um, and uh, not forget about it. Uh, obviously, you have a big TikTok following. Um, your advice is always sound. And um, I'm wondering if there's ever been uh, a particular story that you've come across over the last, you know, however many years uh, that has that has really stood out to you as being whether it's a comment or a story or uh, maybe somebody that uh, even sent you a private message saying, you know, thank you for X, Y, Z. I I get those. I have to hold on to them. Um, I I usually copy and I save them. I have a little place where I store all that stuff. Same thing when I get um, trinkets or notes. Usually, I because I work with kids, I get pictures from kids. So they, like, they draw a picture when they're saying goodbye or whatever. And I have a little box where I keep that stuff because... One, being a therapist, I hear the worst of the worst stories. Um, and two, being on TikTok, I get exposed to even more of that. Uh, so I see all, I, and I hear really heartbreaking stuff. So sometimes I get these amazing comments or messages saying, hey, I used this strategy and it worked and thank you so much. It has changed how I am as a parent. And uh, and I truly cherish and hold on to that because that's how, what really I, that's the fuel that keeps me going. I can't think of one in particular, um, but there's there's many stories that I get where people say that uh, that doing this and doing the work has really helped them. It is interesting being a content creator, and you hear this more and more nowadays. Like, it takes a lot of energy to create content, right? Yeah. And you literally like it's just a constant outpouring of fantastic where does that like where does that derive from is it personal experience is it the comments is it you know where does the majority i mean that's a lot of effort um it it takes a lot of time out of my day um and, and it is draining and I, I do a pretty good job of compartmentalizing i know eric you mentioned that you kind of like it when i do the callback videos on people when they get really a little bit belligerent in the comment section but I try not to give those people attention. And some days I do really well with that. And then some days I maybe I'm tired or uh, <laughs> it's been a long week or I had a particularly difficult session. And those are the times when those videos usually come. <laughs> um, that's your therapy. That's my therapy. That re it really is. It's my outlet. It's my way of being like, all right, one, I'm sharing this so that other people can see this mess that I get sent almost on a daily um, and two, it helps me to feel a little bit better just to even address it instead of just hold, having to hold on to it by myself. Yeah. Um, Dustin, do you have any, did you have more uh, stuff do you wanted to, because I, I was looking at your, your text you sent me the other day. Did you have more specific questions? Um, well, my biggest thing now, and I'm realizing like my sister actually, um, she's, she's pregnant now. And um she, she sent me a, a text message. Hey, can I give you a call? I said, yeah. You know, my biggest thing right now is food, man. I'm having such a struggle. I come from two parents that 
when you know i was literally conceived at the culinary institute of america like food is in my blood right like both my parents you know graduated as chefs and like my grandfather and um you know family has has always been in like restaurants and stuff and i have two of the pickiest eaters my kids will not eat meat solomon the younger one will like eat hummus guacamole yogurt and that's it and i have no idea what to do and my sister calls me the other day and she goes, hey, I was, I was talking to my friend and she mentioned this whole thing called food therapy. And I was like, oh, I never even heard of that. Like, my kid needs that. <laughs> right. It's awful, man. I am having such yeah. a tough time. And I feel like such an awful dad because of it. But I just, I don't know what to do. Well, one, are they eating? Yes. 100%. Yeah. Is the doctor at all concerned about their growth nope. or weight? Nope. So hopefully you can remind yourself of that and give yourself at least a little bit of grace. It's hard, but yes, it is. Yeah. I think, and, and again, I'm, I'm not sure about your own growth, but my uh, family of origin, everything was around food, right? So food and eating and gaining weight, all of that is almost part of the value and the culture system. Right. So then, and I'm just, thinking about in the future for, for my own son, if he's not eating, I'm going to have to combat some of those values because I'm going to be like, part of my, my own self-worth as a parent is, are they going to be eating? And this is how we're supposed to get along. This is how we connect, right? So I think one end, I have to look at, we have to always look at ourselves in some of these things. Mm-hmm. Two, there are absolutely ways that we can help kids who are a little bit more reluctant to eat. And I think the most important thing we can do with food struggles is, try and take the pressure off of the kids. That's the most important thing. The more we fight and we're like, you have to try it, at least try one bite. And they're like, no. And you're like, you're not leaving the table until you take a bite. That is just going to create more food issues. It's going to create more problems down the road. The best thing you can do is just give options and allow them to have opportunity to try it. So on their plate, you might put hummus and you might put, if you're considering having them try chicken, you put some chicken on the plate and then you have another thing that maybe they usually like. And what you do there is then they can eat what they want to eat, but they have the chicken there in case they want to try it. I wouldn't put a lot of pressure on the chicken. I would just say, hey, it's there. If you want to try it, great. And then I might eat it my own and just talk about how good it is. When you take the pressure off of it, eventually, and sometimes it can take many, many, many exposures before they're willing to even give it a shot, but eventually they will try. Yeah, it's interesting. I We took a road trip to, to Nashville and um, we stopped for some fast food or something. like I forget wh- where we stopped. It was just like constant garbage food, right? And I convinced, <laughs> I, this is awful, but I'm really even reluctant to tell Ryan this, but, but, but I convinced my two-year-old, almost two-year-old, that the chicken nugget was a cookie. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he ate it and loved it. And I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. He thought it was a cookie and it's just chicken nugget. All right. <laughs> but like, he's never eaten any even, like, he just doesn't even eat any meat. And it's just been <clears> like, <throat> and we never get fast food. So it was like, the one time that we did, I was like, well, maybe uh, you know, he called it a cookie. So I was like, sure, it's a cookie. Why not? That's what you're calling it, right? He ate it. He ate That's it. And he ate it. That, was, that was the only meat that I've ever seen him eat. Um, <laughs> Eventually, he'll get it. And he's getting protein. Hummus is very has a lot of protein. Yeah, he. I mean, good. we definitely have like you know, you know, he has oatmeal. He has mm-hmm. you know, he's just like softer textures, I guess. So and it also, you know, 
one thing with food is um, there can be sensory issues. Um, there are some kids who are just more reluctant. They gag whenever they have certain textures. And in that regard, sometimes it's really good to get an occupational therapist involved because the one that specializes in sensory issues and that can really help to, to work on some of those things. Yeah. I love the idea. I never, I mean, it's, it's very like basic, but he can eat the hummus or the guac or the whatever he, he usually eats. And if we just put whatever we're eating next to it, yeah. um, you know, oftentimes whatever, whenever he's, you know, done with something, he'll say, you know, all done and he'll, mm -hmm. you know, hold it up and you have to take it. Otherwise he'll throw it. Um, and so if he doesn't want it, he doesn't want it, you know, just yeah. let him, let him say that. Right. Give him I the wonder option, even, though. I'm wondering since it's a sensory, if it's, it is a sensory thing. What if you pureed the meat? That's an interesting thing. Hummus. That would puree pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. No, I never it's really curious. I don't know. I, I didn't think of it as a sensory thing because again, for me, I'm very similar to you, Ryan, where it's like, you know, and Melissa too, like she grew up Jewish. So it's like, how do you not like matzo ball soup? Like, you know, <laughs> right. like that's like he won't even eat noodles. Mateo loves the noodles. He he can't get enough noodles. But yeah, I mean, it's it, I never thought of it as a sensory issue. It it very well could be, and that's something that um, now that I I'm kind of armed with that information, I feel like I'm going to be looking out for it now. Yeah, that's something to consider, right? Won't eat grapes or oranges because of sensory issues. So who's that? Uh, me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't like a lot of things. You you don't like um, salsa, right? No, I eat salsa if they're it's just chopped up correctly. Yeah. So it's a sensory thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a, one of my friends is the same way. She can't eat a sandwich together. Like she can't eat it because everything is together in the in the bread. So she won't eat sandwiches. <laughs> That's it's just so it's that sensory piece, and you know, we're learning more and more about sensory issues and. It's, it's important to at least have that on our radar. It's not always the thing. And it may not be the thing with, with your son, but it could be. It's interesting that you say that, though, because, like, there are certain textures that I just will not eat, mm -hmm. like scallops, mushrooms. Um, I find mushrooms to be, like, slimy. And yeah, yeah. and if they're chopped up, like, really, really fine, I, and I can't taste it, I'll eat suit. This is a real, like, real crazy one. I'll eat sushi but I will not eat fish. Oh, that's interesting. Because sushi can be doused, doused in mayo and soy sauce oh, yeah. and, uh, and it's wrapped in some rice. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little more palatable. But yeah. it is, it's, I never thought about food that way and mm -hmm. it really is sensory. So yeah, that's, see, uh, I'm, I'm the exact opposite where I, I think my, my, the food I seek is a little bit more of the bold flavors. Like I love spice and heat and all of that. And that's more like a sensory seeking kind of, uh, well, and that's what I do worry about because we eat very similar to that palate that you just described. And so I'm afraid of putting a stir fry with a bunch of sriracha in it in front of one of the kids where they're going to be like, eh, you know, yeah. and I don't want to ruin something for them because they don't like spicy. Like uh, I had a seven up once and Mateo drank or no, it was a soda water from the soda stream and Mateo drank some. And he's like, oh, my gosh, it's so spicy. And I'm like, no, that's the fizz, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's really interesting. That's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. I put a little smiley face next to my note. 
<laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, Eric, what do you what do you think? Do you have uh, do you have any other topics that you wanted to ask Ryan? Well, yeah, because we're we're gonna wrap it up here pretty quickly. But somebody that you know is is kind of trying to you know transition more to the gentle parenting style. Obviously, that's not something you can do overnight. What kind of what kind of baby steps can you take? You know, how do you make that transition? To make the transition, it's, you know, I think one, it's understanding that it's baby steps and that you just pick a couple small things that you're going to work on at a time Mm -hmm. and be forgiving of yourself and understand that it is, it's changing a lot of, like we were talking earlier, your hardwired way of doing things and being aware of that and where you're coming from and where those struggles are originating can really help you to start making those shifts having a therapist if it's really kind of ingrained can be really helpful but there's a lot of great resources out there and i would find one that really resonates with you and pick a couple things try it out and figure out as you're doing this where did like what was the struggle with it understand that you're going to make mistakes as you're trying to learn this and then every time you do just figure out how do I want to do it differently and mm-hmm. that's the process is it's not going to be an overnight change it's going to be a very small change that eventually feels really big one of my favorite quotes from uh, a john green novel fault in our stars is he there's the quote where the the girl says Um, We fell in love, like you fall asleep slowly and then all at once. And that's kind of what gentle parenting and that journey and change really is. Mm -hmm. I can use it. My wife likes that that movie. so It's a great movie. Read the book and your eyes will be red for about two, three days. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm definitely, I got to make some changes here on my end and then, you know, we'll, we'll start working on my wife. it's it's always harder to try and change somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've found through my my kind of coaching with Melissa collectively with a therapist that it's not necessarily about the change but rather adapting to each other's nuances and like quirks and yeah. idiosyncrasies that over time can really build up a lot of frustration. Um, and if you would, if you're able to adapt to those things, then it makes it a lot more manageable. Absolutely. Again, same thing for us. My wife is an over communicator and I'm an under communicator, which is really surprising as a therapist. Right. Um, but she wants to over talk about everything. And I'm like, not wanting to really, I'll give the the small one word answers and I'm feeling overwhelmed because she's wanting to talk about everything and asking questions and all of that. And she's frustrated because I'm not giving anything and it's being able to step back, look at that and say, okay, this is what's happening. We, we might be the same person, Ryan. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I wonder how much of that though is, is, is kind of built into gender again. Cause you know, it is, I think it's that way in a lot of households <laughs> just that are, that are male, female. And, mm-hmm. and I just feel like um, there's a lot of that built in. Yeah, absolutely. So, Eric, you want to give me a book? 
Books. Books. Um, so I was I, I went into this uh, recording thinking I'm gonna just ask Ryan what's his favorite book, and you know he's gonna tell us and it's gonna be great. And then I put him on the spot, and then I was like maybe that we're not ready for that. So I'm gonna do a two part. I'm gonna have Ryan give us his favorite parenting book, and I'm also going to let everybody know that um, I found a really cool box set. Um, this week and uh, one of them was released on my birthday in 2020 and it's a it's a series called ninja life hacks and there's a whole bunch of different series this one's on emotions and feelings um, it's an eight book box set you can get it in paperback uh, on amazon for 34 dollars and 10 cents uh, or you can get it at half price books where eric shops um, but this one's really cool because it talks, there's a whole book on angry ninja and positive ninja and inventor ninja and, you know, so on and so forth. And there's other box sets too, talking about leadership and growth uh, mindset. And um, this one is obviously pertinent to today's um, topic and guest, but um, thought I would let everybody know that it's the number one bestseller in children's hockey books, which I don't even know what that even means, but um it looks like a really cool box set and um, it's a little pricey, but it's good to talk about with the kids and emotions and feelings, um, things like growth mindset and, and all that kind of stuff is just uh, a really great uh, purchase. So check that out. And then I'm going to put Ryan on the spot and Ryan bless us with an amazing book to read as parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one, I wrote down that book because I didn't see that one and I'm really excited to see that because I've done the little spot of emotions books and, for my age group that I work with, those are a little bit hard for like a two, three, four-year-old to understand. But for older kids, those are great. So maybe I'll check these out and they'll yeah. be good. <laughs> um, I recommend one book above all others as far as parenting goes, and that is No Drama Discipline. I probably recommend this book several times a week. It is absolutely the best parenting book, period. It's by Tan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson, who are amazing authors. And um, they have several books that you can get. They also have Whole Brain Child, which came before that one, uh, which is also fantastic. If you watch any of my content, you'll probably see some of their stuff eking into what I'm talking about, because uh, it's just so good. Um, another couple books that I recommend are uh, How to Talk So Kids Listen and Listen So Kids Talk. Uh, and then there is one that was written by their daughter uh, called How to Talk So Little Kids Listen. And all of those books are absolutely fantastic. Um, I also have one more that I'm working on right now, which will probably make my new recommended often list is called Beyond Behaviors. Uh, and by the author, last name is Della Hook. And she has a new book coming out very soon. But um, all of those are highly recommended, fantastic parenting books. Ryan, where can people find you online? So uh, the best place to find me is TikTok at Preschool Therapy. That is where the majority of my content is. I'm also on Instagram at Preschool Therapist. Um, and my website is preschooltherapist.com. Very cool. You do regular regular lives on TikTok, right? On Tuesdays? Yeah. So I always do live on Tuesday at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. This week, I'm going to be on there with uh, Opal Wells, who's another gentle parenting creator uh, and does a lot of great content. Awesome. Well, I know that I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of 
a busy and sick time period, <laughs> right? Um, and it's just been such an honor to have somebody uh, that is just so knowledgeable on so many different topics. And, uh, you know, I think I speak for everybody when I say thank you a million times over for the dedication to the content that you do produce because I think it's extremely helpful. And I know that um, I wouldn't be where I'm at as a dad without some of the content that uh, I've consumed from you. And um, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you very much. It's super exciting to be here and I loved it. And I'm sorry that it took so long to make it happen because we've been talking about be doing this for a while, <laughs> but I'm glad it was episode 100. We yeah. never actually like uh, asked you to come on or anything. We just kept saying on that we should, on episodes, we're like, we got to have Ryan on. We should, you know, we really got to get Ryan on here. Right. Uh, so you know, that's our fault for never like, pulling the trigger and and i think we had talked about it in emails a couple of times like hey we should yeah. we should schedule that and then we just like, never scheduled it <laughs> we pulled you into clubhouse which you know we all know how that went yeah. uh, <laughs> r.i.p clubhouse right, eric <laughs> uh, um, guys you can find us on patreon.com slash new dad new dad uh everywhere uh all the social media is at new dad new new dad Newer dad, I am at the bearded DJ. Dustin is at Dustin on the road. What do you got, Dustin? Um, I I think that's pretty much it for for me. Okay. Um, uh, thank you everybody for listening to episode one hundred. Um, as we say here every week at New Dad, Newer Dad, be a dad, be a real dad. Read a book to your kids. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Be better, better, careful. 